0: You very well might not realize that you have the ability to appoint two independent directors almost always, no matter how you start out, and that if you are strategic about it, then you are appointing advisors who can really help propel you forward, give you credibility, really help you fundraise, and will have your back. And hopefully grow with your company, stay with you as the company itself matures and has, you know, shifts from an advisory board or, or from a less formal board to a more formal board. They could grow with you and, and stay by your side as the founders. You need funding to get your startup off the ground.
1: But where can you secure this money? One option is to look for investors. Angel investors and venture capital funds are always on the hunt for promising startups, but you need more than a brilliant idea to land investment. You need a game plan. Like any game, there are rules, the do's and don'ts of pitching to investors. That's why in last week's episode, I invited the startup funding expert, Judy Robinet to talk about the rules in pitching to investors including her tips for preparing your financial, how to approach different investors, what makes a good pitch deck, and why communicating with investors is key to building a good long-term relationship. Last week's episode with Judy Robinet was the first episode in the podcast series all about leveling up your skills as the CEO and founder. And I don't want you to miss this podcast series. So right now, I want you to head on over to kristinashahli.com forward slash her CEO journey and subscribe to this podcast using the podcast app of your choice. Your game plan to pitch to investors must include a financial story on scaling your business. Because at the end of the day, you have the obligation to deliver on your promises. Your promise on accomplishing the social impact goals, as well as your promise of the financial return on the money investor put in your business. That is where partnering with a CFO ensure that you transform your social impact mission into financial success. I have no doubt. You are great at what you do. If you lack the financial expertise needed to confidently scale your social impact business, let's chat. You can connect with me using the link provided in the show notes. You're listening to Her CEO Journey, the business finance podcast for women entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Christina Shahli. If you are new here, a big warm welcome. If we are not connected on LinkedIn, please reach out and say hi because that's where I hang out and share my business finance tips. If you have been listening to this podcast, I want you to know, I appreciate you. My podcast won't be around without your support. This is a free weekly show where my guests and I want to inspire you to balance between mission and profit, to create an impact in this world, and to achieve financial equality through your business. As you listened to my conversation with Judy Robinet in last week's episode, one of the key points Judy mentioned was having a credible board of advisors for your business because it can attract venture capital to invest in your business. Investors prefer to invest in companies with a powerful board of advisors. This key point led me to invite my next guest, three women founder and co-founder who started a company called The Fourth Floor. The Fourth Floor is a community of founders and co-founders, experienced general counsel, industry leaders, executives, and investors. It brings FED-IT, female founders, and professional together. Their goal is to increase the number of women on boards, be more competitive fundraisers, and create wealth for female investors and entrepreneurs. Bryn Sullivan, Kat DeHaan, Sarah Fane are the founders and co-founders of The Fourth Floor. Let's find out their CEO journey. I'm excited today to welcome the founders of The Fourth Floor to her CEO journey. Can you share how you guys meet up and then form The Fourth Floor? Thank you so much for having us.
2: Uh, My name is Sarah Feingold and I'm a co-founder of The Fourth Floor. And how our journey to found The Fourth Floor is this was Breen Sullivan's idea And she and I are career in-house attorneys. I was the first lawyer at a company called Etsy and then the first lawyer general counsel at a company called Vroom. And Breen had this concept of bringing together women general counsels, women professionals, and putting them on board seats, putting them on boards of smaller companies. And this would be beneficial to the companies because it would really help female-founded companies scale. And it would also be beneficial to these professionals because this could be a really great way to start a board career. And you could leverage a board seat from a smaller company into a board seat on a larger company. And then through our network, we met Kat and she helped to take our concepts to the next level.
3: Hi, I'm, I'm Kat DeHaan. I am a co-founder of Fourth Floor. My background is entrepreneurial and I have a really good friend who's a general counsel and she's always been really supportive of my businesses. And um, as I was telling her, some of my struggles, she said, oh, I have, I know some ladies that are doing some really great things. They're starting an ecosystem to help uh, general counsel and, and female founders get connected. Would you like an introduction? And I said, sure. And I met Breen and Sarah and I was just in awe of what they were doing because I really could relate
1: to it, to the problem that they were solving. But what is the biggest problem that you guys saw that really give the idea of the fourth floor
2: so there are two problems that we're trying to solve. One, women have a hard time getting board seats, period, and mm-hmm. stop. And we all know that the power comes from the top. And these board seats is really where a lot of power, a lot of money lie. And it's very difficult for women to get them. Yes, there are certain laws that are out there and there are initiatives, but that's still a problem. And second, women have a hard time raising money to scale their companies. That's truth also. By bringing together these two groups of women, the professionals that want board seats and the founders who are trying to scale a company, magic happens. And this is not brain surgery. This is what men have been doing since the beginning of boards, since the beginning of business is basically putting their buddies on each other's boards, investing in each other, networking with each other and scaling careers and companies. And so a brain's concept was that we can do it too. And we're going to do it in our own way. How did you guys initially even bringing all these people together? Breen and I are career in-house attorneys. Kat is a serial entrepreneur. We reached out to our networks. We talked to them about this concept and we said, what do you think? Are you in? The reaction was beyond our expectations. There's clearly a demand. And so we just wanted to move as quickly as we could to make a company.
1: What was the struggle, though, like at the very beginning to market this? Did you find any struggle to bring people together? The struggle wasn't about bringing people together because once we did, it
3: kind of just it just boomed organically. But the struggle was more about getting the word out. So once you have your core group that become your evangelists, then it's easy to get out. And that that's just what's really helping us grow now.
1: As a group of people are coming together, how... Do you make every member feel welcome when they join the fourth floor?
3: We have like very structured events like our Accelerator or our Decro dinners, which are the our take on the Jeffersonian dinners, which is, you know, very structured, content heavy. And then we also have happy hours where it's just let's decompress and just try to help each other in a very like... A relaxed setting. I think having a lot of different kind of events, you know, helps speak to different kind of personalities and brings out positive traits of, of everyone. And, and and we also then connect people directly to each other. So if you're not comfortable in, within a group, you might be connected um, individually. Um, we're just trying to tap into the all the different kind of personalities and bringing out, you know, what everybody has to offer to each other. I think everybody finds a place or a a way to connect through us. And we also have an online connecting platform, which is called The Room. So if you're someone who's not interested in in taking part in events, so to say, you are still able to list yourself in our connecting platform on our website and you still can be connected that way.
2: Just to bounce in here, um, as Kat was saying, we have a lot of different ways that we connect people virtually and when it was in person, in person, but we are always trying to go to our North star, which is helping companies scale and helping people get on boards. And so we really keep that top of mind and keep that conversation going. And so it really helps to direct people as opposed to some other networking groups, which may have like a a bunch of different initiatives that, that is what brings us together. And that's the commonality.
1: Now, Let's talk a little bit about who can join the fourth floor. So good question. Yes, exactly. Because that's what my audience wants to know.
2: Sure. So we have two types of memberships. We call them the the seed member and the sun member. And the seed member are the executives, female identifying or non-binary, who are in-house counsel, general counsel, C level, senior executives working full-time. Or maybe if you're in transition after working full time in a company environment with at least 10 years of industry experience, we are excluding what we're calling service providers. And, and service providers are like you know, law firm lawyers or coaches, realtors, recruiters, money managers, financial advisors, that sort of thing. Those mm-hmm. can come in as what we're calling the Sun member. Mm-hmm. And then the second part for seed members are our founders. So we're looking for female identifying or non binary full-time founders or co-founders, and the business should have plans to substantially scale operations in the near future. So that's our seed member. And then our son member are, the sun helps the seeds grow. And any, any gender, the role could be a service provider, a consultant, executives, allies. They could be sponsors. They could be more involved in certain uh, activities or certain events. So those are the two types.
1: I just realized as soon as you said, well, you know, the sun helped the seat. And I'm like, oh, that's smart. That's what it means by the seat member and the sun member. Okay, got it.
2: (laughs) That's it. (laughs) We're trying to have an ecosystem. We're trying to like, you know, kind of bring those images to light. Why ecosystem is so important? We're excited that Breen Sullivan, our founder that we've been talking to, has joined the call Hi, Um, Breen!
0: (laughs) Hi, I I apologize. No worries! This is all (laughs) Breen's idea. We've been
2: singing your praises. Breen, why is an
0: ecosystem so important? Great question. And an ecosystem is so important because every participant in an ecosystem is putting in something of value and is taking out something of value. So at the very start, that was just fundamental to the concept. And that ultimately led us to the North Stars, Sarah has said, which is growing companies, helping companies scale and also growing careers simultaneously. By doing that, you're creating wealth. But really, the the motor that powers that is an ecosystem where each participant is putting in something and taking something out a direct exchange of value. How does the seed member
1: and the sun member are interacting with each other? That's a really good question. And,
2: and, and the thing is, the reason that we have the seed member and the sun member is some of the sun members may see our, our seed members as potential clients and that sort of thing. And, and, and so we, we do think that there is a place for them in the ecosystem. The whole point of the ecosystem is that people are giving and getting and thriving. So that's why we're limiting the sun members in a
0: certain way. When you think about Sun members, it it is a nuanced category, so it's not really just one type of Sun member. So, for instance, there are a number of organizations and networks that are really aligned in terms of the mission that they're pursuing with the fourth floor. And so those organizations are strategic partners. They're Mm -hmm. Sun members they're not necessarily the seed member, you know, the participant that that joins us because they're actively seeking to fill out their advisory board or be an advisory board member. But they very well might be, say, a community of female founders. Say they're a community of, of women, intellectual property, general counsels. You know, so organizations like that, they absolutely benefit being part of the ecosystem, they benefit us, we benefit them. It's you know a perfect give and take. So that's one example of a type of Sun member that exists in our ecosystem. What is other example, Bryn? So we also have corporations. Say for instance in the insurance industry, you'd have a large insurance corporation. So for them, they might it might be beneficial for them to get involved with the fourth floor to help encourage female executives. In their ranks to have access to the opportunities that the fourth floor presents so you know those individuals might become seed members they might become advisory board members but for that corporation that wants to support its female executives that corporation is a sun member so we need that corporation as a partner to you know to to guide their executives to us also that corporation might want to sponsor the fourth floor uh, They're in various ways, you know, whether it's through supporting activities, engaging with us, finding other ways that the services they provide could benefit our community. You know, that's another example. Or say on the on the venture side with accelerators, with different organizations that are focused on helping early stage companies grow, they can be excellent partners to the fourth floor in a number of different ways. You know, maybe our members want to, in certain instances, want to access their their services. Maybe their founders would be interested in, in building out an advisory board and the fourth floor could help them do that. So you could see how fourth floor could work very well with, say, you know, venture funds. When they are looking to build out their portfolios of companies to invest in, they might prefer to have companies that, you know, already have powerful advisory boards that make those companies more investment targets. So they could be a, a Sun member strategic partner to the fourth floor.
1: Do you create the people that comes in or the organization that comes into the fourth floor to make sure that they are aligned to your mission? We do have an application process because we want to know what people
2: are looking for and what they're about. So you have to apply and then you have to get accepted. And then as for curation, some of our events are curated. Some of their events, we look at people's bios, we, 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 we think about them, we met them. Then some of them are open to any members. And then we have events that are open to anyone. How
1: do you fund your journey to build this organization? Good question. So
2: right now we have some Sun members who are our sponsors, and they have paid us some money, mm-hmm. and so that's one of our, our, our revenue models. And then we do charge for some of our events. And eventually, you know, we probably we are going into the direction of charging. Our we'll have a membership fee. We don't have a membership fee at the moment, and then we also have some other ideas in mind for the future. Okay.
1: So there is no membership fee, so everybody should join in? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like,
2: absolutely, you know, obviously we, you know, as I mentioned before, we have an application process and we are just so thankful for our sponsors who have believed in us from when this was like a back of a napkin type idea. And as Kat mentioned about the room, we have over a hundred opportunities in the room for, for board advisory seats and so right now we are free. And so this would, could be a really good opportunity to, to see what we're
1: about and see if it's the right fit. I also saw on your website that you guys are doing like a boot camp. So why the board bootcamp? Our mission is that we want to get women on boards. We want to help
2: companies scale. And our hypothesis at first was, okay, if we can bring women into the same room together and we can have conversations about board seats, about helping companies scale, then naturally people are going to connect and put each other on their boards. That just, that just didn't happen. And what we kind of figured out was we need to have a more formal process of teaching people why boards are important, of giving templates, of giving brainstorming documents, of having conversations of what boards look like, not just for someone who wants to become a board member, but for someone who is growing a company and growing out their boards. And so that's where Board Bootcamp comes in. And it has been very successful. It sells out every single time. We keep it limited attendance so that we can have a really great networking portion and people can meet each other. But we, we realize that we need to just very clearly and simply talk about this one topic in a room and focus on it.
0: And that's when magic is gonna happen. I want to respond to that because Sarah actually had this brilliant way, I think, of describing the board bootcamp, which was, you know, we're reinventing what a corporate board means. You know, we're reinventing the term. We're also reinventing what a board member is. And she calls it the reframe in the board boot camp content that that she put together, which is brilliant. But I think it's very powerful because, you know, you ask what is the biggest obstacle? And I think I think to a large extent, it's been shrouded in mystery. It's something that has not been accessible. When you're a founder and you start a company and you know you're your seed or pre-seed, you don't have investors yet, you don't have, you might not have law firm advisors, you very well might not realize that you have the ability to appoint two independent directors almost always, no matter how you start out, and that if you are strategic about it then you are appointing advisors who can really help propel you forward, give you credibility, really help you fundraise, and will have your back and hopefully grow with your company, stay with you as the company itself matures and has, you know, shifts from an advisory board or or from a less formal board to a more formal board, they could grow with you and, and stay by your side as the founder. So you're protecting yourselves. And and I think a lot of times people just don't know about this. They just don't know that this is a mechanical possibility, you know, an advantage that they can take control of. So I, I think, you know, that's part of this whole reinventing, just, you know, reframing, kind of helping people have that aha moment, like, this is a resource I could utilize. And same thing for potential board members. We come across a lot of founders who think they're not ready for a board
3: member or an advisory board, or they haven't built out enough. You know, wh- whatever stage they're in, they're not feeling confident that they deserve an advisor yet. But we've met a bunch of founders, especially recently, that have actually built out their advisory team before they even wrote a line of code or developed their um, prototype. And to have that kind of advice, before you set out will mitigate so many challenges in the future and you can grow so much faster and safer. So you build your team first. It just makes sense.
2: I think what we're trying to do is we are trying to redefine, reframe the idea of who is capable and who is qualified to serve on a board and what kind of company deserves a
1: board. What do you mean by capable, qualified and what kind of company deserve a board?
2: So, picture in your head a person that you think would be capable and qualified to serve on a board. You might be picturing a venture capitalist. You might be picturing a CEO. You might be picturing a white man. And what we are trying to do is expand that definition because having a diverse board with various expertise, having a general counsel on your board, having somebody who has financial knowledge on your board, having somebody who has, if you're in a specific industry, maybe privacy or regulatory understanding, having someone with HR experience, if you have a lot of you know, employees, having someone like that on your board is highly, highly beneficial. And it could be your way of scaling your company and getting to the next level. And then on the other side, so the person who has this expertise might think to themselves, well, I'm just going to sit around and just wait and someone's going to put me on their board. Mm-hmm. The hand of God is not going to come down and pull you out of obscurity and shove you on a publicly traded company's board. Not <laughs> happening. If that ever happens to anyone listening to this to this podcast, let me know and I <laughs> want to talk to you. I feel like professional women, especially once you reach a, specific, a certain part in your career, even early in your career, you will be an amazing board member to some company. And so now thinking about who deserves a board, picture a company who has a board. You might be picturing a Fortune 500 company might be picturing a public company. What we've seen, and as Kat mentioned, we have seen companies that are just starting out, maybe don't even have any funding, don't even have a minimum viable product. They are building out their boards because they know that running a company is a team sport and having the support system of these experts who have done this before, who are in your court, who are independent, who have networks, who have credibility, they can help your company scale. So the company thinking about what kind of company deserves a board and what kind of person is qualified to be on a board.
3: I can also give you an example from my experience. From my company that I started with my partner, we were going after patents and we thought, okay, the best way to do it is to go to you know, a great big law firm and just go after the patents. And while we did get help and advice and we did pursue design patents... You know, having an advisor, especially somebody who from the legal side could have maybe navigated, help us navigate how to best do it without spending the most amount of money. So there would have been maybe other options that we could have like entertained and, and probably got the same, if not better results than what we got. So to get the right advisors on your board is really, really important because they can help you. You know mitigate challenges, but also like navigate the best way to spend the little money that you have as a startup
1: as a startup though, how important or how early should they start seeking for legal counsel?
0: Sarah and I are both career general counsels, and that's definitely at the root of my of ha- me having the idea in the first place. It's just it's so clear to me how a general counsel it's really a different discipline than a subject matter expert law firm lawyer who's practicing law, but not a business person, not in the business context. Like when you're a general counsel, when you're in-house counsel, especially at rapidly growing companies, you are a business executive and you are assisting the business grow and scale. And you're utilizing your legal knowledge and your strategic thinking that is derived from that to help that business avoid pitfalls and grow quickly and increase revenue. So it's a very specific skill set that you don't find at a law firm. I don't know, most of the time, I'm not going to say it's impossible, but that is not typically the service that you would be obtaining if you are hiring an outside lawyer. But many companies you can't afford an in-house general counsel or legal team until you get, you know, pretty far along typically. So, you know, what happens is that early stage companies go to lawyers, you know, they go to a law firm and pay a law firm money, but that is no guarantee that they're getting the actual pragmatic advice that is necessary for that business to thrive and to grow and, and scale. So, you know, they, there's a big miss there. And also, when you're a small startup, you very well might not know the type of lawyer you should be mm-hmm. talking to. You might be you know, spending money on legal advice that's actually really not critical to the business. But meanwhile, there's, you know, major problems that you don't even see because you are you haven't spoken to the right type of lawyer. So you you don't know what you yeah. don't know in that context. So, you know, this is where I realized, oh my God, general counsel, like we should be advisors. We should be advisory board members. Why aren't we? And that was, you know, part of the genesis of the original idea. and uh, And, you know, obviously Sarah and I, totally agree <laughs> that, that we have a lot of value to provide startups when it comes to growing and avoiding you know, risk. You touch on a
1: very interesting point. You said that you mentioned the word increase in revenue, that internal legal counsel having one can help you looking at things, looking at a business from a different perspective. But we all know there are three Overhead costs that a lot of businesses are looking at, like ah, oh, that's just overhead costs. They're not. They're not going to help the business increase revenue. One is legal counsel.
0: Second, it's finance, and third, is HR. That thinking is part of the problem. A legal function that is operating correctly is like an immune system in the, in the human body, right? So it's something that it strengthens that body. It helps that body not. Get sick and you know fall ill. If the body gets injured, it can heal quickly. It helps that body jump high and run fast, and really you know can propel revenue. And you know not even to mention like helping identify innovation and and potential in the white space. Right, that's a big thing legal functions can do. So um, and really drive efficiencies. Well, I completely agree with you.
1: I think in every business, this cost that. A lot of founders are thinking it's just an overhead cost. It's not going to increase revenue. It's it's a myth. It's a misconception, in my opinion. I mean, HR leader, you need it. If you're going to do hiring, you better know how you're going to structure your compensation, right? Like, it's, it's, it's very similar to internal legal counsel. And then the same with finance. Like, People only have like, okay, bookkeeper and tax accountant. That is a completely different function. It's a different expertise. It's a different function. It's not strategic. Last question for each one of you. What would be your best advice to women founders out there, especially during this crisis? What do they need to think about? People are so generous. Figure out what you need and then
3: talk to everybody and anybody and just go for it. Don't worry about what anybody might think, what you look like, nothing. Just just go for it. Just ask.
2: That's right. And and never underestimate the power of the network that you already have. So once you do what Kat has said and like figure out what you need and, and ask, um, make,
0: it, make it known. Right. Like the, a network is not a nice to have. It is the point frequently. <laughs> and so I like just to add on to what Sarah said, I think that's true. And to add on to what Kat says, I, I, I think remind people to to recognize everything is an ecosystem, a balanced world's a better world. So if there was just a bunch of gives and no gets, that wouldn't be balanced and it wouldn't be a healthy ecosystem. So actually figuring out what it is you really want and then going for it, you know, taking it, claiming it, that is really a part of that rising tide that raises all ships because you have to put your gets out there just like you put your gives out there. So that the ecosystem is balanced. Okay, ladies,
1: where can people find you guys? TheFourthFloor.co. All the
2: words are spelled out, theFourthFloor.co.
1: And all of you are over on LinkedIn, right? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Ladies, thank you so much for being here. (laughs) Thanks, Christina. Thank 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 you. Thank you so much for joining me here every week at Her CEO Journey, the business finance podcast for women's entrepreneurs. Head on over to christinashahlicom forward slash Her CEO Journey to subscribe for this podcast and don't forget to tell other women entrepreneurs that this podcast is available for free in the podcast apps of their choice. Until next time, and let's continue to grow a business that fuels the life that you want to live.